Hi, and welcome to the Everywhere podcast. We're a global community of founders and operators who've come together to support the next generation of builders. So the premise of the podcast is just that, founders interviewing other founders about the trials and tribulations of building a company. Hope you enjoy the episode. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to get going today with our guest of our first season, who's Kian from a company called Stitch in Cape Town. So welcome, Kian. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Excited to be one of your first guests. <laughs> awesome. Well, love to kick off just a little bit with your background. Actually, while I was snooping on you, I saw that you did a stint at another portfolio company of ours. So I definitely want to talk about the ecosystem and the interconnectivity in places like South Africa, et cetera. But kind of start off just telling us a little bit about your origin story and how it led you to be an entrepreneur pretty early on in your career. Well, I think my origin origin story was when I was 10, I got a computer for my birthday. And I was, thank you, grandparents. I've always really, I think, been into everything techie since then. I studied computer science and finance at university. Right after university, I kind of tried to build my own thing, which was a bit of a disastrous app at the time, but was kind of like my first foray into, I guess, a little bit of the like startup world. Right after that, I joined a startup. I was the first team member there called Root, which was a fully digital bank, which was really one of the first of its kind. It was certainly the first of its kind in Africa on the continent. And the idea was a bank account for developers, which kind of combined everything I thought was cool in the world. It was like banking and finance and dev and API access to things. And that was really exciting. And it was really cool. It is actually not incredibly dissimilar to what we do at Stitch now except we were doing it like as a bank. We are going to try build out the bank that enabled people to like get API access to a bank. So that was kind of very fun. It was also exceptionally early stage. And then right after that, I assume Smile, I actually just realized, I think I sort of knew this, but I didn't realize Smile Identity is a portfolio company of yours. So I assume that's what you're talking about. So after, after Root, I joined Smile Identity, which is, does identity verification as a service is the like butchered version of what they really do but kind of serving African markets. I used to run partnerships there, which basically meant I got to spend a lot of time traveling throughout the continent, which was really cool. It was one of my first opportunities to like really, really spend time throughout the continent. And I think it's a really exciting product. Like again, it's an API product. It enables like developers to build more quickly in emerging I'm seeing markets. seeing a theme here. I'm seeing a theme. Yeah. API yeah, yeah, yeah. are the way. Yeah, yeah. It's a boring like three-piece theme, which is an API, API, API. And... I really like loved that concept. And then I think also when I just sort of like got to dive into it, was pretty amazed at the talent and the startups. It's like a, a terribly broad thing to say, but just like in the African ecosystem, I, I just like phenomenal founders, product people, like really big ideas people were working on. And it was just like getting to the stage, like timing wise, we were starting to get a little bit exciting from a venture perspective, like people were raising big rounds and there were follow on funding and there were unicorns being minted. And like, it, it was like a, like a cool space and exciting to be in. And so I think that was like my first sort of like hit that, like I, I used to have like some myopic view that Silicon Valley does cool things and like some places in Europe do cool things. And then even to some extent, South Africa and Cape Town kind of pretend that they are this like Silicon Cape of Africa. It's true to some degree and that like we definitely do have great talent and great like ecosystem here, but that's kind of just true throughout the whole continent. And so that was really exciting too. 
And then as like a little bit of a side project, me and my co-founders were trying to build a person-to-person payments app, not dissimilar to like a Square Cash or a Venmo type product in the States. Uh, just a simple, I have like Jenny's phone number, I should be able to send her money. And I think we very conceitedly thought it would only take us like one, two weeks. It's super easy. We, you know, we're all developers, we all understand financial systems. And it took us like nine months, we built like an absolutely horrifying app. And I think most of it was because you end up dealing with like banks and compliance, and there's no infrastructure to do there are no APIs to be able to like build on top of things. That's why we love investing in young entrepreneurs, because they don't know what they don't know. Yeah, and honestly, yeah, yeah. like a lot of people that have been in, you know, in finance for a long time realize like almost how impossible this is. And I think as an investor, there's something like incredible about a young entrepreneur who doesn't see those barriers. So, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I feel like in many ways, that's a characteristic that we look for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the like naivety of youth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the more you dig into it, the I more mean, I mean, like, the I big vision coupled with that in many ways of like, yeah. oh, we can do this as opposed to, you know, 20 years of like people telling you no and being beaten down by the system. So, all right, before we go into like the new company instead, the question I kind of wanted to get at though is what do you think inspired you to come out of university as a developer and to start, you know, your own company, you know, as opposed to going to Google and, you know, working your way up or going somewhere else? Was there something in your life where your parents entrepreneurs, were there something that kind of gave you the agency you think to take this path or put you on this path? Sure. I think it, it again, kind of stems to this. I was like 10 when I got a computer and uh, let me be careful about how much I reveal. I pretend I'm younger than I am. <laughs> but that was still like very early. Like people did not really have computers back then. People were not really using the internet very actively. And there was like this like early wave of things that were just like starting. And I just remember being so baffled and so in awe of the fact that like three developers, and this is reductive, but like three developers could sit in a room and they could both Skype, Right. And I was like, oh my God, like how, how do they build this like thing? And the, like the whole world uses it. And it's just like, was sort of just like this very awe inspiring thing for me that like, this is probably not true, but I felt like one of the only disciplines in which you had that much leverage that you as an individual could just build something of this much scale was just like engineering and computer science and software development and like crazy things that like probably like everyone has long since forgotten about, but like Winamp was like the coolest thing in the world for me. Like me and all my friends thought Winamp was the coolest media player and it had like a visualizer. And it was like, I was just like, I can't believe someone built that. And it was like, you know, I used to spend five hours a day on Winamp and it was just like, you know, someone built that. And I was just like, so incredible that people could just like sit and build. And obviously like the, the same equivalent is true for like a Google or a Facebook, anything that did start somewhere. But I always was kind of just like pretty um, like smitten with the idea of that, like creation of something. So that's cool. So it didn't really come from a person. It came from, you know, your experiences in the industry. That's interesting. Like for me, my parents both worked for themselves. So even though I started very corporate, like I went to law school and I worked in banking, like the inspiration was really work for yourself because that's what I saw my family do. I think that's pretty interesting and kind of cool that it was actually being an engineer that led you to entrepreneurship as opposed to your external experiences. That's neat. Okay. So now you started your own companies. You've worked at some other early stage companies. You have a bunch of learnings. Tell us about the origins of Stitch. Um, really, how did you meet your co-founders and what was kind of the, the founding story there? Sure. So yeah, 
The origins, like I mentioned, we were all kind of like very interested in building this person-to-person payments app. One co-founder I have known since birth, he, our parents are just best friends and I have grown up with him and I've known him absolutely forever. The other, we used to work together at Root, the digital bank. So she joined about a month after me. And the other was actually just sort of during like peak lockdown and stuff, he was working in Cape Town and he was working actually on his own like e-commerce type idea, which was also trying to patch together like a bunch of different payments companies and stuff in order to make like just, just like an e-com product work. And we were also sort of noodling on, you know, these things at the same time. And so it was also like a happy accident that we just happened to be working. Like two are from like a past life and one is from like a, we were happened to be working on the same thing at the same time, which was also really cool. Yeah, all of that was felt like a lot of kismet there. And then I think we all just really liked APIs again, which is, which is a silly theme that keeps coming up. But we, uh, I think, all never wanted to build like this person-to-person payments app. We never wanted to build a consumer-facing app. I'm truly in awe of like tons and tons of consumer-facing apps. But the things that we were always like really interested in were building like the pipes, the infrastructure, right? And so when we sort of found out like, oh, this is like very obvious narrative, but like in order to pull the consumer facing apps, typically there's some sort of like underlying foundation, which are APIs, which are like infrastructure. And we're like, we had to build that ourselves in order to like literally just build the side project and to build the side project for person to person payments app. And we sort of got to like these janky endpoints that if you hit, they made payments or they accessed the balance. And that was sort of the it moment for us. We were like, oh, we could do this as a full-time thing. Every company that built anything financial in Africa kind of needs this, right? Like I had seen that through some of my experience at Smile, the companies that we had worked with there. We had seen it in trying to build this at the last startup that um, me and Natalie had worked at. We had seen this trying to build the buzzer to person payments up. And so that was really kind of the culmination of things. We did, really did not have much worked out, but it was kind of just like, this is quite cool. And I think like all other startups sort of need this. That's awesome. So you guys decide to, you know, go on this crazy journey. What's next? Did you guys bootstrap to a certain extent? Did you, were you focused on, you know, building product? Obviously you were a lot of builders. Did you run out and raise money? So tell us about, you know, that first kind of six months of Stitch. Sure. I don't think we had much plan. We literally made the first like full on API call. And then we sort of clicked in that moment that, whoa, this is an API. And then within a week, we had all quit our jobs because it was just something we really wanted to work on. And we didn't really have an inkling of a like, shall we bootstrap venture, whatever. And I think by quite happy accident, and these are your co-investors, we got quite lucky and then like uh, quite a few of Smile Identities investors, like I knew from my time at Smile, I had spent time with them while I was in San Francisco and in some other markets. And when I was leaving, we got very lucky and they found out I was leaving. And Mark, who's the founder of Smile, also reached out to them and said, hey, Kian's leaving, you know, Kian, you should you speak to him. And quite fortuitously within like my notice period, like while I was still working at Smile Identity, we had a term sheet from one of the investors And so cool as a side note that, you know, the company founder that you were working for put in a good word for you and introduced you like what, I mean, that is really, you know, such a testament to like Mark's vision of, you know, a bigger, a bigger vision, right. For everyone. So I think that's awesome. That was super helpful. My direct boss, Wayne, also, he directly put some money in and he also introduced me to like a bunch of their investors and other things, which is really nice. Wayne, I think is like the greatest person in the world. So the fact that he did that was like this really like, like big moment from our side. So that was great. I think this is probably the path we would have gone down. It probably would have been 
more painful and filled with more ups and downs. But we got lucky that we kind of come, came about it that way. And then, yeah, we've been like pretty venture back ever since. Off to the races. All right. So now tell us concisely, like what stitches and, you know, what's, what's the real vision there and the mission? Sure. So we help companies more easily move money, basically, is the way that we've sort of landed up. And we do that in African markets. We're currently live in South Africa and Nigeria. And at this point, I think we we kind of had our ups and downs. We literally started with the data product, and then we started with purely a pay-ins product. And I think where we've come to is that actually just in general, like whether it is startups, SMEs, whether it is enterprises or whether it is global multinationals that are trying to enter the African market, like money movement is just a hard thing in general. It's difficult to receive money from any payment method, whether it is cash, whether it is card, whether it is bank transfer, it's very difficult to just like reconcile your money. So whether that is like opening a bank account, whether that is actually doing payments reconciliation for multiple methods, and then ultimately a payout, right? How does like money move back to users in this ecosystem? And so we're kind of tackling all ends of this at this point. We've done a lot of scrambling to get there. And we certainly didn't do all of those things at the beginning. We like started as data, then we purely started as a pay by bank method. But now that's kind of what we do. We mostly are more like enterprise focused right now, but that's us in a bit of a nutshell. Great. Any learnings, twists and turns along the way that have informed the product? An unlimited amount. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, highlight one or two of something, you know, an assumption that you thought early on that potentially, you know, you had to prove or disprove and, and that changed the path. I think those are always interesting to hear about. They're like all mostly low lights. So I'll, I'll give you a few low lights, <laughs> which got us here, but, but in a good way. So we started for whatever reason, the origin story is like we were making a payments app. And then I don't know where we kind of went awry, but we launched a data product. I think maybe we saw who knows. Like Plaid was like getting exciting at the time or like open banking was a thing, mostly for data, not for payments. And so I think we were like, oh, wait, like, like you know, okay, linking to a bank account, linking to financial infrastructure is cool. But why are we doing that for payments? Let's do that for data. Like that's like, you know, that's not solved. Like let's just like solve the data piece. That was wrong, <laughs> I think you like very quickly realize, I think there's obviously phenomenal products in other markets. And I think they will be in African markets. We just got the timing like horrendously off. I think like that'll be interesting in five years or in seven years is my like my personal hypothesis. But I think the overall size of the market is just not developed yet. So it's just way too small. And then the like second order of that is there's no urgency for like any of these things. I just remember having like tons of really painful conversations at the beginning and like even more painful because the people that we were trying to sell to were agreeing with us. We would say, hey, you guys have all these crazy manual human-based processes. We've given you this digital solution. And people would say, yes, we love that. That's great. And then we'd be like, okay, cool. Awesome. Like you can buy this from us today. And they'd say, oh, no, no, no. We, we, we'll look to do that in like two years or three years, which is like net dead for us, right? So, And you're like, why are you so excited about it if you can't do anything? It's like- yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was horrible. And you actually almost wish they disagreed, right? You almost want someone to say like, no, I don't get it. And you can try explain it to them. So that was pretty bad. And then we sort of got like our first little bits of pull from some companies that like we really respect and that that were doing like really good work at the time. Luno, which is the biggest crypto exchange in the continent, Chipper Cash, uh, right? And they were like, this like link a bank account kind of concept is interesting. Like, why are you doing it for data? Why don't you do it for payments? Like payments for us is hard. And we're like, oh, really? 
it kind of seems like you guys have it worked out. You guys are like big companies. You must sort of have the solve. And so we kind of built this like, you know, quote unquote, pay by bank product. And we did it very superficially. We did it like from like a, a bunch of different sides. It didn't work, but like Stitch was not in the flow of funds, for example. So like the money moved from like Jenny to Chipper Cash, right? And we didn't touch it at all. We sort of like just added a digital layer to it. So to be honest, it wasn't a super merchant experience and it wasn't a super customer experience. Like say what you want about card, but like the customer experience, like usually is pretty good and it's like very well understood at this point. And so it was kind of like bastardized on like both ends of that. And so we sort of saw like an inkling of there was something that someone wanted here, which we did not see at all with the data piece. And then I guess when, when we like kind of looked back at it, we, we sort of took like a little bit of like a hunch and we like actually, we went very deep. We got like super licensed. We got like licensed across all the major banks in South Africa. And we were able to hold funds on behalf of like merchants. And like we went like super like quote unquote vertical. And that just allowed us to like, be much, much, much closer to actually the entire payment lifecycle, which started to like allow us to do one-click payments, real-time payments, recurring payments, be able to do like real-time notification of payments. And we just started to offer like all the same sort of like product suite as card, but with some like additional things such as like fraud protection, such as better commercials. The user experience was the same as card. You only had to see us once. You could like be tokenized from that point. It could be recurring. And there we started to find something that like started to work a lot better and also started to work for just like larger enterprises. That was kind of the stumbling that got us there. That makes sense. That's a, a good story. I like that. Shifting gears to kind of a little bit more of the macro, you know, I made my first investment into an African-based fintech company, I think in 2018. And I'd say, you know, people kind of in the US, New York, you know, where I am, were like, oh, Africa, that's interesting, Jenny, you know. And then, you know, 2020, 21, it seemed like that just was this kind of incredible ramp up, especially from international investors, people that were in the US and in Europe. And, you know, a lot of people have been investing in Africa for a long time, but it seemed like a lot of people I knew were like really jumping in. I'm curious, like that was my perspective here sitting in New York City. Like, what was it like for you just seeing the ecosystem develop, seeing a lot of international money come in? Did it feel as drastic as it did to me? Maybe even more so. Okay, <laughs> love to hear more. I think having sort of a front row seat to some of this, it was like very interesting, like in the very, very early days of this and like, I don't know, 2014, there was no concept of venture capital. You could like either bootstrap or like, I don't know, get, get a loan from a bank or I'd friends, family, fools kind of money. Uh, but like venture capital was just not a thing. There were, you know, local venture capitalists, but most of you, if you're lucky, you were going to get $100,000 and they were going to take 49% of your business and they were going to expect a return within two years. Sounds like a great group. Where do I meet them? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Which is why it wasn't a thing again. And then there was like an interesting like bit of momentum. Like people did start to build technology businesses, right? And they did it however they bootstrapped and whatever. And, and people built compelling businesses and sort of got their legs chopped off at the like, well, whatever, series A, series B. I'm about to do some like really like serious scaling stage because there was just no way to support that growth. And so what started to happen was they just started to get bought by like huge incumbents, right? So you did see some like quote unquote success stories, but it was like a bank would buy you or an insurer would buy you or like, and so there's like these like companies that to me at least seemed like really, really high potential kind of got stopped right when they were taking off. And then like, you know, one of the big draws for me for Smile Identity was like, 
whoa, this was like this, like, you know, Silicon Valley, like San Francisco venture capital, American venture capital backed company, but it was focusing on African problems. And I was like, whoa, there like probably was, you know, a handful of those companies at the time. And that was really exciting. And I think there were like a few of those companies that started to do this, like, I don't know, they're like early cohorts were like, you know, there's a pay stack and there was Flutterwave. And like largely a lot of those companies actually just came through YC to get like some exposure there. Like Smart was, you know, one that did not. That was like really interesting to me. That was like quite an eye-opening experience that there were a few people taking these bits, but they were kind of like, quote unquote, like African VCs. They were like based in America, but they had this like Africa thesis. That was interesting. And then I guess when we started Stitch, I think at least having an even closer view of that, I, I thought it was like quite fascinating because we actually raised like money at almost six month increments, but not like full rounds at each time. The first time we ever raised money was from like all of Smiles investors who were quote unquote African investors. They were great. And they had like, you know, US venture capital, but they were African investors. Six months later, we raised a bit more money. And this is still quite telling to me. We raised a few hundred thousand dollars, all from operators. It was all like the founding team of like Plaid. And it was like the founder of uh, Klarna. And it was like the founder of Venmo. And it was really interesting to me that like people that had like all empirically built like really large scaled fintechs were like taking an interest in, it wasn't just us. They were also like investing in like LATAM and stuff at the time. And it was quite interesting that they were like a leading indicator to like where things were. Cause it was like, they were smaller checks, but they were like very interested. They had high conviction. And then six months later, we raised our seed round. And that was all basically actually these like founders and operators saying like, you know, VCs, you got to start looking at Africa. You got to start looking at the Stitch company. And then fast forward one year later to our series A, it was like the floodgates were open, right? There wasn't a single, like, if you didn't have some sort of emerging like market Africa type of thesis, you were like way too slow, right? And you slowly started to see every like tier one, big name VC, like do their first investments. And it like just completely, completely, completely became mainstream. I mean, there's like global reservation around deploying capital right now, but it was like truly like a pretty crazy thing to like watch unfold. It must've been, I mean, again, from the purview of New York, it seemed like all these people who had never invested outside of the US were calling me being like, hey, Jenny, you know, I hear you have great, you know, flow into some, you know, emerging markets like, you know, yeah. Africa and Latium. And I was like, really? You, are you sure that you're interested in that? It was pretty interesting. Obviously, you know, I thought it was great for the entrepreneurs over there. So I was excited about it. It did seem somewhat unsustainable, right? Like it was, yeah. it was almost like a frenzy. Now here we are in 2023 where everything has settled down. People are not chasing deals, even, you know, in Silicon Valley for the most part. You know, how have you seen it over there? I mean, you may not be raising, but what are you kind of seeing in the ecosystem more broadly? Sure. There's definitely been a pullback. I mean, that's true in any market. And I think it's okay. I think, right, this will settle over time. But there was, I think frenzy is a good word. It was like a bit of a frenzy. And it, it was almost like, oh, you just had, had to do something in Africa. Or you just like had to get in on a deal because you just could like, like say you were part of something here. And, you know, like in, in any sort of like situation like that, you get investors that don't have high conviction or you get companies that otherwise wouldn't have raised money that raised money. And so like all of that has just stopped, like completely, completely, completely any sort of like FOMO investing or anything like that has like completely disappeared. Good companies are still getting funded. A lot of things are happening that are not being as publicized. They're not flashy, right? They're not gigantic rounds with huge valuations. We're seeing a lot of things happening flat, maybe slightly above, slightly below. 
But are you seeing in general, like some of those, let's call them tourist VCs who kind of came in, dipped in, are they just not answering calls now, you think? Or they're also kind of in for the, I'm going to get a better price, you know, flat round. I'm just curious if we've seen a retraction or if you've seen it on the ground. I think most most of them have completely retracted. I mean, we we spoke not in the capacity of a fundraise, but we've spoken to some and they've, you know, in, in many cases, they're actually quite transparent about it. And they've said, we're just not doing deals in Africa or, or in other emerging markets, because right now the opportunity cost is just another US deal. It's something we know, it's something that's safe. It's something that we can get over the line. So a lot of people have said that. And like for the most part, I think people are going to have to wait so there's more momentum that starts up again in order to do that. People that still had conviction before or had like a very strong thesis around something specific. I don't think there's like a quote unquote, like Africa thesis. You can just do like the whole thing and that'll just work. Are still doing stuff. There's a lot of support, I, I will say, which I think is quite good from the more reputable VCs that did make these investments that do need to do bridge rounds now or need to do like a little bit of follow on capital that might not be like, you know, your next best round. So some of that is still happening. Uh, but for the most part, I think everyone that like frenzied in has like frenzied out. Interesting. So with this kind of new normal in terms of the downturn and, you know, back to basics, how are you and your team thinking about it in terms of your business? Are you guys thinking about extending runway? Are you thinking about, you know, slower growth potentially? Are you thinking about that forbidden word profitability? Kind of curious how you guys are thinking about the business for the next, let's say it takes 12 to 18 months. And I don't know in Africa, you know, what you think that timeline is. That's kind of what we're saying our founders, like, you know, make sure that you've got a plan for the next 18 months because it could be rough. Yeah, I think that's right. I think timelines, we're probably looking at the same. No one should ever take any advice they have on like the macro economy. But I think we're we're also kind of thinking that like at least it'll take 18 months before things maybe start to pick up or settle or, or however it swings. I think we had quite a drastic shift from like revenue growth and like, you know, payments volume growth, which is like like the other kind of growth that we track are obviously like very coupled. But historically, we had sort of, you know, taken a little bit of a, like, let's get new logos and let's get like payments volume and like, let's keep attracting and, and like growing this. And in many times, like you can use price or like the units as like a lever to like accelerate those things. And very quickly, like that became quite obvious early in last year that that's just not a thing anymore. And I think even more just being in a, an emerging market, like when will that capital come back? I don't even know. I think that might even be a lag. Like, I I think good companies will always get funded, but I think the ease of capital might be like a lag even further than the rest of the world. We're fortunate that we raised money. We raised a a fairly large Series A uh, at a good time. So we're not worried about conserving capital and our burn is still quite low, but we are like our new mindset is how do we get to profitability? How do we like take more control? Like chances are like we'll still have like venture in our future and back, but like we don't want to do it because we have six months of money in the bank, three months of money in the bank. We want to do it because we have needs to accelerate our growth. And actually, I think we're seeing that with a lot of African founders and startups. It's just like, okay, how do I kind of like flip things so it's more like on my terms and my control? Because it kind of was for a little period of time when like the venture capital market was really hot. And like, yes, it was like not your capital, but like you did have like a lot more say in the terms and stuff around that. And so that's kind of how we're thinking about it. We, we are using the, the P word. Excellent. <laughs> 
So I recently started teaching as an adjunct at a university here in in New York called Cornell. And I just gave a session earlier in the week on market sizing and, you know, existing markets kind of easy to quantify developing markets that are growing and really hard to like figure out market sizing. And I just kind of had a thought with you guys, like, how do you think about the growing market for your business and for kind of, let's call them African fintechs? Like, can you just give us a sense? And it's just like your your sense of the growth opportunity in a region like yours. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this is a question that we get all the time, right? Like this is like TAM is a, a VC favorite question, TAM and emerging markets. It comes up even more often. The opportunity is, I think, one you would find in like individual markets are far greater than people think, right? And like, I think people think about Africa and like often from a venture perspective, people think of Nigeria and that at face value kind of looks like a large market. It's 200, which it is, it's 200 million people. It's like growing very fast, internet penetration, disposable income, digital penetration. But like, you look at it like a ton of like, other markets in like South Africa, which is obviously where most of our business is done currently, is smaller in terms of like people. It's like 60 million people. That seems really small. But like our GDP is the same size as Nigeria, for example. And I think like one, there's like quite a misnomer on that, like you have to be Pan-African for this to be like gigantically big. I think the truth is, yes, you can't be in a single market. Like it'll be probably pretty hard to build the, you know, $10 billion business just focusing in South Africa, for example. But like the rate of growth in each individual market has just been like so tremendous and kind of just across sectors and across industries, like we actually track like growth trends in the markets that we operate in and that we want to operate in literally on like a payment channel method because they're like so drastically different. It's not like digital payments are increasing, you know, whatever, 40% year over year. You see like individual methods on like large user bases already, like increasing like 100% year over year. And it's like, we track it per section like that because there's so many like individual opportunities within an individual market. Like, yes, we think about geographic expansion as well, but I don't think anyone has even like scratched the surface of this yet. And like people start to see it with like the volumes that companies like a flutter wave or like some of the like other Nigerian processes that are like a bit more at scale are doing now. But that's still like mostly comes from a single market. It still mostly comes from single method there are like small micro examples I would use, which are like really monopolistic. But like, if you look at like an Impesa in Kenya, for example, right? Like that is just globally a gigantic business, right? And it is like in Kenya, in an economy that no one thinks you have a right to build like a large business that is like a digital first kind of payments business. And it's just like so well penetrated that you just have these opportunity sets that you just I think don't always actually have in more developed markets because a lot of these things have been done already. And there's almost this like, I used to hate the term leapfrog, like, but often accurate, this like, like leapfrogging opportunity to just go like from like the banking system to like kind of a more like new age digital bank system. So yeah, I, I think there's a ton of upside. We'll have to see time horizon wise how in each market it plays out. All right. I'm going to have my students listen to this for sure. Because it's very hard to describe how you quantify as an investor a market that doesn't exist yet, right? Or a growing market. Yes. And those are oftentimes the most exciting investments to make. But what's the data that you're, you're going on? So super interesting. Totally. Switching gears a little bit. 
at the fund, we often talk about this idea of like superpowers, you know, what's the thing that is kind of unique to you? I mean, I built two companies. I think at some point my superpower was was maybe, you know, building and product. But now I'd say my superpower is fundraising and helping, you know, helping founders with a fundraising strategy. So that's kind of, I think, what I, I'm known for a little bit. Yeah. And what would you say is your superpower? Ooh, I'm sure you have a ton of um, amazing things you do, but what are the things that people are like, wow, Kian, like he's the guy I go to for this. Very few things, very few things. (laughs) I'm hyper responsive on WhatsApp. I don't think many people would disagree with that one. I do for like quick little bits and bobs of information. I'm like very good on WhatsApp with that. I don't know if it's a superpower, but I, I am proud of, and I think I am like pretty well connected within sort of like this ecosystem as well as like general startup and venture sort of ecosystems. And wherever possible, I mean, most people do this throughout the continent, but do try and connect folks like on the side that don't have access to like European networks or US networks or anything like that. That is like maybe one area I try. I think that's a superpower of yours because most founders I've spoken to seem to know you. (laughs) And it's not from you starting your podcast, right? It's that they've had some, you know, interactivity with you or you've helped them or something. So I'm going to, I'm going to deem that your superpower, your connective tissue amongst the continent. So I will take it. I will take it. I love it. it. All right. This is our speed round. We're just going to finish it up with a few quick questions, you know, one or two word answers. What's a book or podcast or media that you're enjoying right now? I just started reading Winning by Tim Grover, who was the coach or trainer for Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. It's a bit intense. It's like hardcore. I don't know if it'll be for everyone, but I am enjoying it a lot. It like maybe takes things a little bit to the extreme too much, but about like having a winning mentality, which some might argue in like a a Jordan's case, for example, it was like too far, but it's super relevant to a lot of startup stuff. And like there's tons of tidbits that I've been enjoying. Cool. If you could live anywhere in the world for one year, where would it be? Um, Turkey, I think. This is like a highly uninformed answer, but I I was on holiday there for eight days, I think, last year, which was criminally too short. I was just in Istanbul, so also like a naive answer, but just had such a great time. It was beautiful. The food was great. The people were great. I think I will do that at some stage for like at least... Three months, four months. I don't know about a full year, but I, I would love to spend a bit more time. There. I had a really good time. Incredible country, for sure. Favorite productivity hack? Sleep. I got big into sleep last year. This is a silly and obvious one, but like just high quality sleep and sleeping consistently, sleeping enough is just a complete game changer. I think it's like a performance enhancing drug. I love it. And where can listeners find you? Ooh, I should know this. I think <laughs> well do you uh, prefer on, that they get you on you know on LinkedIn on Twitter where's where's the best place for people to track you down do you have a blog post anything just go to stitch and they'll find you is that stitch money hq uh, is our twitter and we're also very active on LinkedIn so stitch okay. is where to find me all right well thank you so much for spending you know this great time with us it's been Super fun to get to know you. Obviously, you know, thrilled to be supporting you on your entrepreneurial journey in a very small way. But thanks so much, Kian. Thank you so much, Jane. Really enjoyed it too. Awesome. Thanks for joining us and hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you listening, you might also be interested to learn about Everywhere. 
We're a first check pre-seed fund that does exactly that. We invest everywhere. We're a community of 500 founders and operators, and we've invested in over 250 companies around the globe. Find us at our website, everywhere.vc, on LinkedIn, and through our regular founder spotlights on Substack. Be sure to subscribe, and we'll catch you on the next episode.